smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we continue our series in Philippians. Matt Waldron speaks to us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. One in Christ. Here's Matt. Well, we're talking about unity this morning. Wouldn't it be great if everybody got along? Wouldn't it be great if your social media feed was always constructive? Wouldn't it be great if uh, everybody could go about their lives without feeling worried that people are going to put them down or exclude them? Uh, I feel like unity is a thing that people generally agree is a good thing we should be having more of, but uh, we need more of it because there's a problem. I think unity is a sunken X-Wing problem. I don't know if you've seen Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, but if you haven't, you should have, so I don't apologize for spoiling it. Uh, There's this scene where Luke Skywalker is doing his Jedi training on the swamp planet of Dagobah. In Star Wars, every planet is the same all over. There's a whole planet that's desert, there's a whole planet that's swamp, there's a whole planet that's, you know. Anyway, so he's on the swamp planet of Dagobah with Yoda doing his Jedi training. And uh, he's going along doing the training and getting better. And at some point, his X-Wing, which is his spaceship, how he got there, how he's going to get somewhere else, his spaceship, which is parked in the swamp, sinks into the swamp, almost completely underwater. And he is just completely devastated. This, this, this is a, a problem he can't deal with. And he's starting to a trying, I imagine he's trying to think about what kind of uh, system of pulleys and levers he's going to have to build to get it out, uh, and how he's going to do that in the swamp. Is he going to have to construct a dam? How is it going to work? And this is the moment where Yoda delivers some of his best lines. And my favorite is where Yoda says, you must unlearn what you have learned. The problem is not that just Luke needs to learn more of the force kind of stuff that he's learned. He needs to unlearn some of the stuff that he thinks he knows about how the world works. And I think unity is like that in the modern Western world. I think it's not just that we need more of this good stuff that we're working on. I think there's a fundamental problem where we think we know stuff about how unity works. And we're wrong. We need to unlearn what we've learned. So let me show you those things in uh, Philippians. And uh, you can uh, decide for yourself whether these things are things you need to unlearn. I'll give some examples of how I think I need to unlearn uh, to learn Jesus's way. So we're going to be looking at three things that are necessary for unity. Uh, Unity is based on being united in suffering, united in service, and united in submission. If that doesn't sound familiar, then you probably need this Bible passage like I do. So firstly, united in suffering. Let me read you Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 to 30. Philippians 1 from verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. One of the first, the first principle of that unity we've got to get our heads around is that shared suffering unites us. Right? United people don't want to let the team down, but keep going. And this is not, this is not merely, you know, uh, an unfortunate thing. This is what God is currently doing by the Holy Spirit in the world. So just quickly look at those uh, verses. Firstly, it says to stand firm in the one spirit. Now that could just be a way of saying, uh, you know, we're all, we've all got the same vibe, but I'm pretty sure that's not what Paul means because in Philippians when he talks about the spirit or uh, a spirit, he's usually talking about the Holy Spirit. So I think that's what he means here. We can uh, stand firm together by God working in us, by the Holy Spirit. And he says, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So it's the idea of, you know, don't back down, don't compromise, don't give up. Keep believing in Jesus. Now, on one hand, you might expect believing in Jesus to be easy, easy because Jesus is wonderful. But our whole world is in rebellion against God and opposed to believing in Jesus. So it actually takes an effort to keep going. And he makes that explicit in the next bit, without being frightened by those who oppose you. Uh, for us, uh, when we keep believing in Jesus, the world might oppose that in ways like, uh, you know, calling us names, uh, you know, worst case scenario, I guess you might lose a job. Uh, you might have family members who don't want to see you anymore. That's awful. But in the time Paul was writing to the Philippians, remember he'd been imprisoned. He'd been arrested following Jesus. So the risks were even worse for them. And Paul's not saying, uh, don't, uh, you know, have feel, you know, people opposing you, people threatening you, people doing bad things. That's going to be unpleasant. You're allowed to be upset about that. Uh, I don't think he, when he says don't be frightened in any way, I don't think he's saying don't feel fear. But I think he's saying don't let the fear trick you. Don't let the fear trick you into thinking that they're right. Um, the, the, word, uh, the, the word of don't let them, don't be frightened in any way, uh, was, was not, it's not a word you find in the Bible, it's not the usual word for fear. Uh, but it, it seems to be a word that was used for like when a, a horse was startled. Yeah? And so the horse, I don't know if you've ever seen a horse being startled, but it can uh, mess things up for the person riding the horse. Uh, and it's not necessarily something that the horse, you know, can't handle, but it's just, it's just a shock. Yeah? So I think he's saying, uh, you know, don't, don't be startled. So you're kind of so surprised that the world is against Jesus that you think, oh, Maybe I'm wrong. I should stop following Jesus. Don't be tricked. Don't be startled. Don't panic. Paul says, I'm warning you. You, you, you know this is how it works because you know that I've been arrested. You know that Jesus was crucified. right? So you know this is the world is opposed to God's ways. So when we turn and follow God's ways, we're going to be going against the flow. 
So don't be surprised by that. Don't let it trick you to think that Jesus' way isn't right. So Paul is saying, uh, be prepared for suffering. In a world that's opposed to God, following God's way is inevitably going to involve some degree of suffering. Of course, there's also suffering that's just because we live in a fallen world. Because the world as a whole, we've all turned against God, we've brought God's curse on the world. And so there's sickness and death and all sorts of other problems. And so suffering is part of following God in this world until Jesus comes back and makes things new. And so uh, God has not sort of done that from afar and then said, let's see how you handle that. God has come into his fallen world in the person of Jesus and suffered with us. God didn't look on his fallen world and go, right, I'm going to magically pull you out of that and just fix things in some magical way that you can't understand. God has stepped into our world in the person of his son and suffered with us. And so unity with God has to be unity in suffering for the time being because that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has come and suffered. And so that's, that's the plan. That's how unity works in Christ. So Paul's saying, be prepared. God will strengthen you by his Holy Spirit. So stand firm. Uh, in Paul's day, the temptation was to think that you know, the Roman emperor was the one who really decided who was in and who was out. You either had to be united under the Roman emperor or you, know, you couldn't really be united with everybody. And Paul was saying, no, Jesus is the real king. Jesus is the real boss. And because his way is the way of suffering, that's where we can really be united. And so, of course, the people who thought the Roman emperor was the place to find unity thought that those who wanted to find unity in Jesus were being traitors. That's why Paul was arrested. But Paul was not an anarchist. He was not against human unity. He just knew that real unity was found in Jesus. And so real unity is found in suffering. Uh, in our time, uh, most people in Australia are not that keen on monarchies, but people are very keen on health and wealth and happiness. That's where people think unity is. What we just need to do is make everybody healthy and make everybody rich and make everybody happy, and then we'll all get along. Of course, uh, if you ask what health means, uh, suddenly, it gets hard to put a real precise definition on that. What people want is to be uh, able to do what everyone else can do. And the, tr the thing is, we're all different. Different people have different abilities. That's, health still includes diversity. If you ask how much money everyone needs, it's very simple. I just need more than my next-door neighbours. There's no way for equality and unity to work that way. Even happiness. What do people want in terms of happiness? Well, they just want to be able to look around and go, they're keeping up. <laughs> uh, I heard an interview a while ago with a, a psychologist who said, 
uh, the key to happiness is low expectations. And what he was addressing is in the Western world, we're constantly putting our expectations on what advertisers will tell us ha will make us happy. Uh, unity in Jesus, real unity doesn't work on uh, health and wealth and happiness. It's unity in suffering. Realizing that we live in a fallen world, but that Jesus has come to suffer with us. And so let's all keep going together. If we recognize our own sinfulness and turn to follow Jesus in love and truth, we're going to face opposition. But if we just live in this world, we're going to face suffering. We're going to face struggles. We're going to face sickness. People we love are going to die. So why pretend? Let's keep going with Jesus and empathize with each other in our sufferings. Uh, empathize with people who are not Christians in their sufferings and encourage them that we can all be united in Jesus. So that's the first thing. Unity is in Christ's suffering. Secondly, unity is in Christ's service. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4 go like this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So I think this paragraph has a kind of three-step logic. The first up is, he's saying, if you are encouraged by your unity with Jesus, then put that into practice in being united with other Christians. Right? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, hopefully you should be encouraged about the fact that Jesus has come to die for you and be raised to save you. If any comfort from his love, right? God loves you this much that he sent his only son to die for you. Surely that's got to be some kind of comfort. If any common sharing in the spirit, right? You've ex had some kind of experience of the Holy Spirit working in you. If, if you've turned to trust in Jesus, that's because the Holy Spirit has done that in your heart. And of course, people have all sorts of different experiences of how they come to follow Jesus, how they grow in following Jesus. If you've had any experience of following Jesus, of God's work in your life, then you have that in common. If any tenderness and compassion, right? So if, he's basically saying, if you're a Christian, think about what that is good, you know, that goodness of God loving you and encouraging you and helping you and uniting himself to you in Jesus. Well, then notice that there are other Christians who have had those kinds of experiences as well, right? If you're united with Jesus, then put that into practice of being united with other Christians. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. If you're united with Jesus, then be united in practice with other Christians, particularly by agreeing, being on the same page about what's going on. Now, he doesn't just say, now make sure you all agree with each other, from Paul, by. He explains, like, like what are we supposed to agree about? 
He actually tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I'm going to talk about verse 3 in a minute because I think that's what the next paragraph really explains. But look how it's, it, it's put into practice, verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Uh, each of us has needs, each of us has wants. And Paul says, don't focus on your own needs and wants, your own interests, but focus on the needs and wants of other people. Now, I think we've got to, I think for most of us, there's quite a bit to untangle here. Because we think the way, the way life will work best, the way society will work best, the way that unity works is where everybody takes responsibility for themselves. If everybody uh, looks after their own needs, makes sure that their own needs are met, makes sure that their own wants, that they uh, you know, get to do what they want, then everyone will be healthy and wealthy and happy and everyone will get along. And Paul doesn't see it that way. He says the idea is everybody is looking after each other. Now, f so a couple of things to notice about this. The first one is he doesn't say uh, have the same lack of self-responsibility. He says have humility, right? And we're going to see in a minute exactly what that is. And it's not a lack of self-responsibility, right? So it's, it's, we still need to have responsibility for ourselves. But our focus is not on looking after our own needs and wants. Our focus is supposed to be on the needs and wants of other people. Uh, a, a way that I find helpful to think about this is, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of going to someone else's house and helping them with their housework, but let me tell you, doing other people's dishes is always more fun than doing your own dishes. A few people are nodding. That's just how it works. Um, uh, I, I mean, there are some practical obstacles to us all doing each other's dishes, okay? So if you can figure out a way to do that, I'm in for it. But, but you see, that's, that's the, the aspiration. The aspiration is not, well, we'll all be by ourselves and look after ourselves and then visit each other with no needs. The idea is we all help meet each other's needs. So all our needs are met by other people and we get to help meet each other's needs. And actually, if we can make that work, that is awesome. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to see that other people care for you because they're happy to do things for you. And it's happy to feel valued because you can provide for other people and their needs. It's great when we get that to work. So he's not saying that, uh, you know, there's just some administrative trick that we need to figure out. We live in a fallen world. We're all sinful. Uh, we all tend to deceive ourselves about our own needs and wants. We all tend to be selfish about serving other people. Right, so it's not just if we get the administration figured out, it will work, it won't. But this is God's design for humanity. This is the aspiration. This is what we're working at growing in. How can I grow in serving others? How can I grow in letting other people serve me, which some of us find just as hard. And so God's design for humanity is for us to be united in service, 
not united in self-sufficiency. Now, this raises some practical questions about how we actually practically grow in these things. And we're going to look at some more nitty-gritty about this next time. uh, Because Paul goes on to talk about some nitty-gritty that's happening in Philippi. Uh, But the basic idea, I think, is we we need to be uh, willing to communicate about these things and we need to be willing to do it. So we need to be willing to offer to help people. We need to be willing to ask for help. We need to be uh, willing to risk being let down by other people. And we need to be willing to risk letting other people down. It's not... It doesn't matter how well we organize this, it's not going to work perfectly till Jesus comes back. But Paul's saying, because you're united to Jesus, look around and see that you're united with other Christians and at least agree that this is how you want life to work. At least be on the same page, right? Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I really want to serve you like this. I really want you to be able to serve me like this. How can we grow in this together? Well, these are some of my needs that it would be great if other people were willing to help with. Uh, These are some of the things that maybe I could do to serve you. And there's going to be disappointments in that. If we uh, know the tenderness and compassion of God in Jesus, then we need to exercise that tenderness and compassion to each other. Uh, Being tender about each other's needs, being compassionate about when we let each other down. So, real unity is in Christ's suffering, and real unity is in Christ's service. Thirdly, real unity is in Christ's submission. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, I said uh, in the previous paragraph, we'd figure out what humility was all about in the next paragraph. Hopefully you can see that's what this is about. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And it's not just he's done some other steps first, first, and then this is where the humility comes in. This is the kind of climax of the way Jesus has served And so the climax of his humility is his willingness to become obedient even to death on a cross. 
I think it really helps us uh, to get our heads around what real humility is. To think about the stories of Jesus in the Bible, in you know the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And uh, read them and think about uh, how can I learn to be humble like Jesus? Because I think that really helps to fill out this little summary here. So, for example, it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Does that mean that Jesus didn't know he was God? Well, as soon as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's really obvious. No, Jesus fully knew he was God. But he didn't try and use that for his own advantage. He knew he was God, but he was using that to serve people and indeed to honour God the Father. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You could probably translate this more literally by taking the very nature of a slave. I think in our society, people would read that, you've got to make yourself nothing. You've got to take the nature of a slave. People would say, no, if you do that, you'll have a problem with your self-esteem. But if you read the stories of Jesus, he doesn't have a problem with low self-esteem. He doesn't have a problem standing up to people who are doing the wrong thing. He doesn't have a problem standing up for himself when he has to do that to honour God and serve others. Uh, he doesn't have a problem with the fact that he has needs and he has to depend on God the Father to provide for him. So, Whatever Paul means by Jesus making himself nothing and taking the nature of a slave, he's got a different set of concerns to what a lot of people in Australia today have. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is a funny kind of figure of speech. He became obedient to death. What would it mean to disobey death? I mean, it's not like you're going to avoid dying. <laughs> Who do you know has disobeyed death? I mean, everybody dies eventually. So what does it mean to be obedient to death? Right? You can, you can be killed and be angry and bitter and complaining and uncooperative about it. And make the whole thing a kind of, uh, well, uh, either a kind of protest or uh, a bit of a sideshow to draw attention to yourself. But that wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus was obedient to death. He knew it was part of God's plan for him. And so he, I mean, it's not like death was his friend, right? He was, he was obeying God, God's plan for him, that death was part of the plan. You get that explicitly, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will. I really don't like the idea of being tortured to death. I really don't like the idea of the guilt of the world being transferred onto me. But your will be done. 
It's about submission. Jesus submitted to God the Father. He submitted to God the Father in using His own divinity to bring glory to God the Father and save people. He submitted to God the Father in taking, taking the nature of a human being in a fallen world and you know, suffering the way we all suffer in this life. He submitted himself to God the Father in being willing to die. A death that he did not deserve. We all deserve to die because of our sin and rebellion against God. Jesus never sinned, never rebelled against God, never failed to love other people. But he still cooperated with the plan for him to die because it was God the Father's will. And notice it's not just he let it happen, right? Obedience to death is not just you allow yourself. Everybody dies. You don't have a choice about it. It's about the way he died, his attitude to God in that. Uh, this is, this is the, the crux of the issue in lots of ways, I think. I think in our society, we think we know what humility is. We think that humility is something like having an accurate un, you know, idea of yourself. Not, you're not, not having too high an opinion of yourself. We also, whenever a person in our world talks about humility, they need to uh, counterbalance it by saying you also don't want to have too low opinion of yourself. Whenever people tell you you need to be humble, but not too humble, that's because they don't understand humility at all. They're just talking about a different thing. A good, a good way to respond is to say, you know, the Bible uses Jesus as the best example of humility. Jesus believed he was God. How do you describe that as being humble? It's not because he has a low view. I'm God, but in a low way. It's not, that's not what it's saying. It's just not what it's about. It's about him submitting to God the Father. He's voluntarily going, actually, my life is about God the Father. I want to honor Him and obey Him. Just as we saw last week, that all of us exist for Christ. That's real humility. It's not accuracy about our, uh, how high or low our value or abilities or whatever are. It's accuracy about our purpose. We exist for God. And as we saw uh, last week with Paul, just as living for Jesus turns out to be the best thing for Paul, uh, Jesus submitting to God the Father is the best thing for Jesus. Verses 9 to 11, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, and, and Jesus knew this was the plan, right? <laughs> it's not like Jesus humbling himself meant him not knowing he was God, not realizing he was perfect, not knowing that his future was going to be ruling the whole universe at God right, God's right hand. Jesus had a very high view of himself. For the glory of God the Father. He had a very high view of his role in the world. For God's purposes. He had a very high view of his right to stand up to people. To stand up against what's wrong. 
in the authority of God the Father. And so that's the example of humility. The Bible challenges us to emulate, uh, to see ourselves as consciously, entirely dependent on God the Father, to be pleased about it. My every breath I take is dependent on God sovereignly keeping me alive. Isn't that wonderful? So every decision I make, every you know, effort I make, I want to use for God the Father. That's how it should be. It's wonderful when it's like that. That's what humility looks like. And we're all growing in that together, aren't we? Uh, let me just say, uh, I feel like I've pushed this reasonably hard because uh, I think Paul is pushing us reasonably hard and because I think this is so counter to our culture. So let me, let me close off by two, saying two things. One is, although I want to push you hard on this, overall, as I look around all of you individually, I think you're doing pretty well with this stuff. But let me also <laughs> let me also give an example of how you know I think I can grow in this, which hopefully will encourage you to examine yourselves and think about how you can grow as well. Uh, so one of the things that that I was challenged by uh, in this uh, in in preparing for today uh, is the the way I uh, think. Uh, so looking at the three things: uh, suffering service and submission uh, the one that really jumps out at me I'm sure I have to grow in all of these but the one that really jumps out with me is is suffering and the area where I think I really struggle the most is when I see other people suffering and what I want is to fix it and you know reducing suffering is good we should try and do that but I don't think, oh, this is an opportunity for us to be united with Jesus. And remember, Jesus' suffering wasn't forever. It was suffering you know, for a purpose, and now he's glorified at uh, the right hand of the Father. So it's not that we can't you know, try and reduce suffering and try and make things better. But first, I need to remember, oh, actually, this is God's plan for us at the moment, is for us to be united with Jesus in his suffering. And so uh, that means, when it, you know, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You know, the, the temptation for me is to want to skip over the mourn with those who mourn and just, let's just make things better. Because actually, no, we need to suffer with Jesus, be united with Jesus in our suffering first. So that's something I've been challenged about this week. And uh, you might like to talk over morning tea about how you think you can grow in... Pursuing unity, unity in Christ's suffering, you know, unity in Christ's service, and unity in Christ's submission. And like I said, we'll talk more about the nitty-gritty next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you have a great plan for humanity. Thank you that you have a great plan for us being united as your family. And thank you that Jesus has come to unite us. Thank you that he uh, came into our fallen world, came and united himself with us sinners, 
even to the point of dying to take the punishment that we deserve. And thank you that he's raised to life again, uh, showing us that humanity has a big, wonderful future. Uh, help us to uh, get on board with unity working the way that it does, that it's about uh, sharing in suffering, it's about sharing in serving each other, it's about sharing in submitting to you together. We pray that you'd grow us in these things, help us to be uh, gentle and patient with each other as we talk about these things and seek to grow together in following Jesus. Amen.